in the last year, but mostly last week. On the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast. Yeah, but we'll only give you eight and a half million guaranteed, Tevin. Uh, that's okay. As long as I can play with Shanahan, uh, that's all that matters. Uh, the coach, uh, that's what I need. I need the coach. Give me the coach. Give me the coach. He's got the good stuff. Yeah. Running lanes. Yeah. Big wide running lanes. Yeah. Zone blocking scheme. Yeah. No one else has that. But Shanahan, got to get to San Francisco. And like they signed Jarvis Landry to be the peanut butter to Odell Beckham Jr.'s jelly. Hey, Nate, piece of advice. Stay out of Cleveland. And the Wizard of Ogzigbo. And double down on wide receivers with Ashton Doolin! Is this about to be a C-section? That's when the show jumped the shark. And I remain stunned that people actually listen to this show. And look, it's a winner most of the time. Most of the time. Not this time. And infinitely there is no end i don't think you know what infinitely means there's no end matt you really don't know anything do you it's a fun experiment to do a podcast every week with someone that doesn't know anything and forces were conspiring against devin funches including his own ability (laughs) i don't like devin funches and if you did any prep whatsoever, looked at the rankings once, checked the show sheet once, listened to the clip of Marshawn Lynch talking to John Wertheim once, you would know all these things! And... Uh, Bezos. Ah, that's all right. He'll fix her up. What's wrong with you? And... Best sexual innuendo ever. Ever. I mean, 12 inches of snow. <laughs> and... Todd Haley and his wife don't believe in wearing clothes at all. And was I relating that to something sexual? It's the best way to go out on a sweatpant boner. And is this the time when you think people start masturbating to the show? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sonic Truth Dynasty Podcast. <laughs> God damn it. I'm your host, Nate Liss. You can find me on Twitter at an outraged Jew. And with me, as always, is Mr. Matt Kelly. You can find him on Twitter at fantasy underscore mansion. And apparently two weeks in a row, he has he has knocked me off of my game on the intro. Couldn't even make it through the start. How's it going, Matt? Got you again. God, that was that was good. You've been podfathered. You know, I told myself, I go, everything's going to be fine as long as you don't look at the video. Just don't look at Skype and everything's going to be okay. And sure enough, I look to my right. There's Matt. God damn. Good work. Good job. I won't get into what I was doing, but congratulations to you, Nate. You are a Dynasty League pioneer, a NFL draft analysis fortune teller. Oh, my gosh. Because now, 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 now the conversations are starting. Is Paris Campbell a first-round pick? Now, now. Months after the possibility was put forward by Nate Liss on the show before anyone else was talking about Paris Campbell as a first-round pick. Congratulations, Nate. Oh, my gosh. Oh, it feels so good. Just... 
Oh, God, it feels good. Man. Thank you so so much. Wow, this is my two minutes of fame. Thank you. Maybe 10 seconds of fame. New Orleans Saints are looking to draft Paris Campbell late in the first round if he gets past the Seattle Seahawks. (laughs) Can you imagine Paris Campbell and the Seattle Seahawks? Would Russell Wilson enjoy spending time with Paris Campbell on the practice field and throwing him passes in games. Would that be something that Russell Wilson might like? I think Russell Wilson would be uh, very happy about that. Paris Campbell is exactly the type of player that this team needs. We need somebody that's savvy, that can that can run down the field, make big plays. He's not comparable to Sterling Shepard necessarily, but with a guy like Tyler Lockett on the roster, who's a super nuanced receiver, and the fear that Doug Baldwin is never going to be himself again. I don't know what your take is. Matt Kelly made an off-the-air crazy projection. I'm, I'm sure he's not gonna. He's never going to repeat it again. What do you mean there's no way Baldwin bounces back? He's getting the surgeries. We are worried when... It's not good. Players like Todd Gurley don't opt for the surgery. They don't go under the knife, as the cliche goes. Doug Baldwin... Went to see a doctor, an orthopedist in this case, and said, hey, fix me up. Put me back together again. I'm Doug Humpty Dumpty Baldwin. Put my groin and knee and shoulder back together again so I can go out there and catch 100 passes. Maybe score double-digit touchdowns, which I've done in the past. There's no one else to throw to except Tyler Lockett. And Tyler Lockett is a situational outside receiver who has never commanded a significant target share in his career, it's the Doug Baldwin show in 2019 until I hear otherwise. Listen, I'm fine with the Doug Baldwin take. I'm not a doctor. You're not a doctor. I'm not a doctor either. I never claimed to be a doctor. I view these surgeries as a positive, not a negative. While most fantasy gamers are sweating profusely, especially if you have Doug Baldwin in Dynasty, no. This tells me, go get more Doug Baldwin. As Warren Buffett says, when others are greedy, be fearful. When others are fearful, be greedy. That's why I'm acquiring Todd Gurley, and that's why I'm acquiring Doug Baldwin. Boy, I like this bit better when I felt like I was walking through a room full of balloons with confetti falling on me. I'm a Baldwin fan, too. It's good. And you wanted to besmirch... The good name of Douglas Baldwin, and I will not have that on these airwaves. I'm sorry. I I love Doug Baldwin. You have a really funny way of showing it. I'm sorry. I don't want you to think I don't. You're not showing it. And I would love Paris Campbell on this roster. Paris Campbell is going to be great in the NFL. I think that he is one of three receivers I can confidently say will be productive, valuable assets to an NFL team, A.J. Brown, and Nikhil Harry are the other two. But mm-hmm. there are football experts on Twitter that are quick to remind me that Paris Campbell, his average depth of target was only three yards from the line of scrimmage. That he's just a gadget player, a wide receiver screen specialist, a more competent version of Cordell Patterson in a bad way, right? How do you feel about Paris Campbell's target depth? And does that indicate he's a bad route runner? I feel like we're subtweeting Fusu Vu. It's not just Fusu Vu. It's a whole swarm. It's a whole swarm of film grinders, Nate. I'm not concerned. I- I'm not because here's the thing. There's a couple things at play here. One, 
the Ohio State coach has put Paris Campbell in a position to be successful based on his traits. He's a fast player. They wanted to get the ball in his hands, and that's not going to change at the next level. Whoever drafts Paris Campbell's goal is going to be put the ball in his hands, let him make plays. Two. Just because you haven't seen him do a lot of the routes that people claim he's not doing doesn't mean that they're not in his film. That's right. That doesn't mean that they're not in his route inventory. Right. So many of these film grinders that are focusing on the wrong details with Paris Campbell, they're confusing didn't with can't. Correct. And that's the primary issue. Correct. They're assuming that just because... He didn't run a lot of post corners. That doesn't necessarily mean he can't do it. And he did do it, and it's in his film. You know, the point of scouting isn't to look at where a player is today and call it good. The The point of scouting is to focus on what they can do right now and then what can they be coached up in the future to do with the traits that they have. And Campbell has a lot of them to go with elite athleticism. And I'm totally with you. Paris Campbell's floor is so much higher than people think. <laughs> Go ahead and spend the picks on other players because you're fearful of Paris Campbell's air quote A dot of three yards and see what happens at the next level. By the way, what's Nikhil Harry's A dot? Exactly. What's JJ Arcega Whiteside's A dot? What's Ashton Doolin's A dot? Oh, you don't know? Oh, you want to know why you don't know? Because no one tracks it. It's not something that's tracked. We would have it at Player Profiler if it were a track statistic at the college level. It is not tracked. What we're seeing. With Paris Campbell is the ultimate confirmation bias driven data collection by film grinders. Whenever film grinders try their hand at advanced metrics, they create this reverse engineered Frankenstein's monster data set that is specifically created to support their existing positions on players. So if you believe that DK Metcalf is a better prospect than Paris Campbell and you notice Paris Campbell catching a lot of screen passes. What are you going to do? You're going to go watch every Paris Campbell target, watch every DK Metcalf target, and then create an argument based on stats that you went out and fetched by hand to confirm your position. So when you go ask for Emmanuel Hall's target depth, no one can help you. It doesn't exist because no one's out here trying to argue that Emmanuel Hall's overrated and therefore collecting specific data sets to tell a story that supports an individual's preconceived notions of players. So in that way, this Paris Campbell target depth number, it's a narrative masquerading as a statistic. I could say that Paris Campbell is the best route runner in this class. And that's just as true and powerful as the film grinder saying Paris Campbell's the worst route runner in this class. It's all subjective. And the depth of target tells you nothing about the quality of the routes. The quality of the routes can never be measured. It is subjective. And what's maddening to me is that those conducting that subjective measurement are not experts. They do not have a body of work that they can fall back on and say, yes, you can trust my assessment of Paris Campbell's route running because I was a route running expert. I taught routes at Mississippi State. I worked for Sean McVay. Right Here are my credentials. None of these film grinders on Twitter have credentials that would lead you to believe that they know anything about what the proper route looks like. So fantasy analyst X is citing Paris Campbell as the worst route runner in this class is as accurate as me saying he's the best.
You know, people have brought up his hands too, which are great. Doesn't it doesn't make sense to me either? Yeah, they say that they're not great, but here's the thing. It, it, no, they are no, great. Paris Campbell's hands are great. Paris Campbell has the best hands in this class. And the statistics for it of the 91 receptions he had in 2018, his drop rate was 5.2%. And even when you saw him at the combine, or if you didn't get a chance to watch him before that, he looks naturally, catches it out in front of himself. He plucks it out of the air. He's a better route runner than Riley Ridley. Damn right. Better hands than DK Metcalf. Better yards after the catch than Nikhil Harry. What more do you want? They're going to come after you for the Riley Ridley, that's for sure, because Riley Ridley is somehow still in the second round or earlier conversation. How is this possible? I don't want to go on tangent here. I just Every time I hear Riley Ridley, I get triggered. If you want a statistic that matters, how about Paris Campbell's 90 receptions in the context of the Ohio State offense? It's a spread them and shred them attack, yep. and he was the featured weapon. Go back through time with this Ohio State offense. And show me the featured weapons and their corresponding NFL outcomes. It's Ezekiel Elliott. It's Curtis Samuel, who is poised to ascend as the number two across from DJ Moore in Carolina. The offensive skill position talent recruited to Ohio State is as good or better than the players recruited by Alabama and Clemson. So if you're going to criticize Paris Campbell, provide tangible evidence or log the fuck out. <laughs> But when I think about Paris Campbell and I think about this spread attack that they ran at Ohio State where they had four wide receivers on the field, all of whom excelled at the NFL scouting combine. Yeah. Yep. We've rarely seen this. I know we saw A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf and Demarcus Lodge all at the combine, but Demarcus Lodge did not excel at the combine. All those Ohio State wide receivers excelled. And one of the more productive of those receivers K.J. Hill wasn't invited. So you go down that depth chart, you saw explosive athlete after explosive athlete after explosive athlete. One of those wide receivers was Terry McLaurin. Terry McLaurin would have been the number one in a lot of other teams. He was one of the best wide receivers at the Senior Bowl, according to Alex Dunlap. And when I think about that offense and how Paris Campbell can turn a three-yard curl route into a 20-yard gain, it makes me concerned not that Paris Campbell's overrated, but that perhaps Dwayne Haskins is overrated. Mm, mm. Were these wide receivers and these explosive skill position players propping up Dwayne Haskins? That could be an issue. It's an interesting take because I think there's a lot of people out there that are that are really, really, really excited about Haskins. Um, and people will cite the passing production, but but a big time thing that comes up with quarterbacks is game starts. This has been a thing I've heard for years is how many games did they play equating to, you know, a part of what they'll become when they get to the NFL. And and Haskins doesn't have a lot of, of, you know, experience starting at the position, albeit it's at Ohio state. So it's a big time school. And he put up incredible numbers, video game, video game numbers. He was playing a video game. If people want to talk about Paris Campbell's low a dot, then people should start looking at a guy like Haskins and go, okay, if, if Paris Campbell was 1,000 yards and Haskins threw for 5,000, well, you know, one-fifth of that wasn't really doing much. If you believe that Paris Campbell wasn't going down the field stretching it, making plays, then you've got to start to look at Haskins and question some of what he did. Um, but I think all around there's— 70% completion percentage over 4,800 yards, and get this, 50 touchdowns for Dwayne Haskins. Yep. He was prolific. 
And one of the reasons why is Paris Campbell. And I want to be clear, this is not all film analysts criticizing Paris Campbell. There are some film grinders that believe that Paris Campbell is the smoothest wide receiver in this class. And that's probably because they're more objective. They're not using Paris Campbell to prop up another receiver in the class. Those taking a step back and just looking at this class objectively are more often than not characterizing Paris Campbell as smooth. So where do you want him to go in the NFL? Ideally, which team gets Paris Campbell? Is it Seattle or is it somewhere else? I would love to see him go to Seattle, but I just don't feel like Seattle's going to invest the capital. They, they never really have, unless he made it to the second round, which I, I don't believe he will. He's going in the first round. We've been talking about it. Well, which team can get the most out of his ability? I think the Green Bay Packers could. That's the right answer. Green Bay, that's the right answer. He is the perfect complement to Devontae Adams. That allows Devontae Adams to play a true flanker role and you post up Paris Campbell on the outside, occupy defenders deep. Like Curtis Samuel, he can make that transition from running routes close to the line of scrimmage in college, goes to the NFL, starts running more deep routes, double moves, occupying the opposing team's safety and affording Devontae Adams more room underneath to operate in those intermediate routes. Over time, Devontae Adams has become skilled in those intermediate areas of the football field. He just has not had a wide receiver opposite him that opposing defenses respect. Defensive coordinators must respect Paris Campbell, and that's why the Green Bay Packers must draft him in the first round. And they might, because Green Bay turned over their entire front office. And you saw last year, drafting Jair Alexander and Josh Jackson Two cornerbacks consecutively tells me that the Green Bay Packers focus on the right details, and they know that they need to invest in the passing game to win in the NFL. Mm -hmm. And there is a glaring weakness on that Green Bay Packers offense, and that's number two wide receiver. They sure as hell don't need a running back. The last player they need to be drafting is Josh fucking Jacobs. Oh, no. Is it over for Josh Jacobs after he tanked his pro day? No, it's not over for Josh Jacobs. Here's the thing. I just don't think that Josh Jacobs is the RB1 at this point. And I don't know that he was even before this because nobody knew what he was going to do and you finally got to see it. He was a black box prospect. Then when we saw inside the box, there was a strange odor. Well, check this out. So what's unique about this scenario is people keep bringing up the Kareem Hunt comp because it's based purely on 40-yard dash time and a running style that's similar, sort of a a violent running style. But here's the difference. Number one, Kareem Hunt was faster. The problem with Jacobs is that Kareem Hunt averaged 19.4 touches per game through his college career. And his senior season at Toledo, he averaged 23 touches a game. Jacobs averaged 9.3 touches a game, and his last season, he averaged 7.5 for his career. So here's the thing. So Jacobs is slower than Hunt, has less burst than Hunt, and never came close to proving that he could handle a workload like Hunt, but yet he comps to Kareem Hunt. So this is what I don't get. We've never seen Josh Jacobs in a lead role where he carried the ball X amount of times in a season and really carried the ball and showed that he could be a a feature back in an offense. 
Now, he has all the intangibles when you see it. He can play outside as a receiver. He can run up the middle. He can go outside the tackles. He can block. He can do a lot of things. The athleticism is is in question. So for me, if he goes in the first round, I feel like it's a reach. If he goes in the third round, that's where people start to say that it was a steal, right? The Kareem Hunt, the Kamara, because that to me is where he should be going is in the third round. But you no longer believe that he comps to Kamara. You were trying to tell us that that he fits the Kamara profile. You no longer believe that because he lacks the explosion. So I never said that he he compared to Kamara in terms of the the actual abilities. I was trying to say that. Ooh, am I mischaracterizing your position? Yeah, I think so. What I was trying to say is no one's ever done that to me. People are saying that we should be giving Josh Jacobs a chance because we gave. Alvin Kamara a chance and he didn't have a lot of production and he was a a receiver more than a running back at at Tennessee. And there was some parallels there with with Josh Jacobs. But no, I I don't think he comps in terms of being an athlete or a producer. I just thought that that was sort of the narrative people were leaning on. But no, he's not Alvin Kamara by any means. I compared him to Sony Michelle and he's definitely not Kamara. And now he can't even sniff Sony Michelle. Poor guy. Poor guy. With Sony Michelle. He has a monster playoffs in front of everyone. So he has that vividness bias working in his favor. His dynasty ADP has been on the rise from January on. Drafting Sony Michelle was really a boon for whoever selected him in rookie drafts. And I believe that even though Sony Michelle was overdrafted by the Patriots in the NFL draft, and those that drafted him in the top five of dynasty rookie drafts also overdrafted him. Some drafted him before Nick Chubb. But that playoff run let those dynasty leaguers off the hook. And the savvy ones who drafted Sony Michelle instead of wide receiver X later in the first round are now cashing in their chips. They're seeing what they can get for Sony Michelle in trade. And I believe that Sony Michelle is the quintessential dynasty trade candidate right now. He also exemplifies why you're better off drafting running backs in the first round than wide receivers, because wide receivers take time to develop. Saquon Barkley, Sony Michelle, Nick Chubb, Karrion Johnson, just pop, 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 pop. They all popped. So even if you're not particularly high on a running back heading into the NFL draft, if that running back falls into a peach situation, you just have to push the button, knowing that there's a high likelihood that running back gets an opportunity to break out in fantasy football as a rookie, and then you can parlay that asset into something better. A true stud in a prolific offense. And I've seen savvy dynasty leaguers doing just that, packaging Sony Michelle with a pick or an upside player to acquire a Christian McCaffrey, an Ezekiel Elliott, an Alvin Kamara. How do you feel about that tactic? I think it makes a lot of sense. I obviously was a, a you know a staunch supporter of Sony Michelle. Are you opening the sell window now? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you've got to be open to sell anybody. Uh, but Sony Michelle clearly, like you're saying, is is in that is in that window where he did great in the Super Bowl. He had a pretty good regular season. Uh, you know, he came on a little late in the year. Um, has the draft capital. He plays for New England, and there's a lot of assumptions that it's going to continue next year. But if you want to get out knowing that he'll never be the receiving option that some of these other backs will be, and most of us play in a PPR league, it's so important 
to have a receiving back. I think it would be different if last year we had seen Sony Michelle with 46 receptions. I think this conversation would be a lot different than it is right now, especially playing for New England. But I'm with you. If I can pair a pick and something with Sony Michelle to get myself Christian McCaffrey, I'm all over it. Exactly. Oh, I'm getting a text message. Oh. Nate is a fool. Who who sent that? Oh, uh, here we go. Unknown number. I'm very happy to have my phone in my hand right now, Nate. <laughs> oh my god, the built-in segue. Because I was out with the Roto World guys, Pat Doherty and Rich Rebar last night, and guess what? What happened? I left my phone in an Uber. It's not good. And do you want to know why that is a problem? Uh, I mean, I can assume, but tell me why. Because typically when you leave an item in an Uber, I once left a, a bag in the trunk of an Uber in Las Vegas. Don't ask. I won't. The solution is simple. You just go to your trips and you click report lost item and it connects you with the driver automatically. But if your phone is what is left behind, that's impossible. And if you take someone else's phone and log out, and log back in, or you get on your computer and try to log in, guess what they ask for? Some sort of uh, pen that's... A verification code sent to your phone. Yeah. So you are in phoneless hell. <laughs> so my advice to anyone within the sound of my voice, when you are exiting a Lyft or an Uber, look back at the seat, double check that you have not left anything in the vehicle, especially your phone, especially your phone, especially your phone. I went 20 hours without my phone, and it was the worst experience of my life. <laughs> God, this is where we're at now. If that's as bad as it gets, I must have a great life, but it was miserable. I was tilting all night. We were talking about college football fantasy leagues, and I just wasn't into it. Normally, I'm super engaged. I just couldn't get into it, man. It was depressing. But finally, I got the call, or my wife got the call, because I didn't have a phone, that the driver had turned the phone into an Uber concierge center, but he never reported it found. So it was someone at the facility rummaging around in the returned items bin, found this phone, and reached out to us. In hearing the individual at the front desk retell the story about how they came to contact me, that they had my phone, it was a miracle. It was a goddamn miracle. I was so happy when I realized that I was not going to have to go get a new phone and set up a new phone and lose unsynced photos. I nearly became religious, Nate. Just this close. It was <laughs> this close to becoming religious. That's what it took. There I was on the verge of embracing superstition and believing in a sky god. I was this close to becoming religious on Purim. That was good. You were close. Did your synagogue send you a Purim basket? I didn't get one this year. Looking forward to sukkah, though. I'm not Jewish or any religion, but I do love me some hamantaschen. Oh, <laughs> they got the strawberry-filling hamantaschen, the chocolate-filled hamantaschen, oh, yeah. the marmalade-filled hamantaschen. It's all great. I love it all. I'm a fan. If gun to my head, I had to pick a religion, maybe sword to my head. Wow. I'm going Judaism. Wow, thanks. <laughs> thanks. I appreciate that in a moment of distress like that, you would you would think of... Just for the hamantaschen alone, I think it's worth it. God, I've had some of those that are bad. I I've been eating good ones, so... Really? Where are you getting them? Our community is, has some good bakers, so you're missing out. I can see why you're so outraged. Constantly. 
I also love bagels. My heart. <laughs> <laughs> Skipped a beat, little flutter. I lost my breath. Bagels for breakfast, hamatasha for dessert. I'm in, man. God, things are so good right now. And I found the key to keeping bagels fresh. We get a whole bag of bagels for the week, and they were going stale. Mm. The key to keep bagels fresh is actually put them not in the refrigerator, in the freezer. Mm. We freeze our bagels, and when you take them out of the freezer, you put them in the microwave for 10 seconds. And just that 10 seconds softens the bagel up, but also some moisture, the ice crystals from the freezer get on the bagel, and they melt and help to soften the bagel. The bagels out of the freezer are slightly softer than fresh bagels. Mm. Pop them in the toaster, and voila! It's just like the day they came out of the fryer. Oh, so good. So to recap the mansion lifestyle hacks for today. (laughs) God. Never, ever, 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 ever leave your phone in an Uber and freeze your bagels. I wonder if Ashton Doolin's Jewish. (laughs) God. I love him, so he must be. If he is, I'm almost certain he doesn't freeze his bagels. (laughs) Which seems, ironically, like the most Jewish thing you could do with your bagels. I mean, come on. Shalom. Shalom. Now, as this Paris Campbell debate is raging on social media, I was surprised to see an Ashton Doolin debate raging in parallel. Oh. Ashton Doolin's college dominator, 60%. 99th percentile, best in this class, is getting the attention of some mainstream media personalities. Mm. Now, some questioning the math behind our Dominator rating, not realizing that touchdowns are a key component of Dominator ratings. So, no, Ashton Doolin did not dominate the yards as much as he dominated the touchdowns. But Ashton Doolin is the reason why Dominator ratings exist. The critics on Twitter are dismissing him, saying, oh, he's not only is he from a small school, but less than a thousand yards. Yeah. Did you see the passing game that Malone College put together? That's why we have Dominator rating. So that instead of looking at the counting stats, you look at what share of yards and touchdowns a wide receiver accounted for. And in the case of Ashton Doolin, 60% is impressive and predictive, and the haters need to eat it. Oh, my God. Oh, boy. Are you sold yet on Ashton Doolin? Well, it's good to hear that people are dueling over Ashton. <laughs> Let that one sink in for a minute. I'm going to go defrost a bagel after the show. Uh, I'll tell you what about Ashton Doolin. I've made this argument before that his dominator rating is not the same dominator rating as somebody who played in the SEC or the ACC. And that's true. Because who was the wide receiver opposite him at Malone? That's the reason why his dominator rating is inflated. It is. I agree with that. So you lower it from 60 to 50 and it's still amazing? I mean, he's great. That's I, that's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just trying to say that the dominator rating isn't scaled for level of competition. However, he's got the athleticism. He was clearly a focal point of the offense. His mm-hmm. yards per reception are absurd. His breakout age is absurd. Mm-hmm. Ashton Doolin, at this point, he will be drafted. Where he gets drafted, I, I honest to God believe if I had to put a bet out there where I thought Doolin was going to get drafted. I believe that Ashton Doolin goes in the fifth round. And I think that's fair. 
for a guy coming from where he came from. That's Justin Watson territory. Yeah. Where do you think he's going to go? Ashton Doolin, if he went to – you know, to be honest with you, I could see a guy like this go to Seattle. I think he'd be a good fit in a place like Seattle because they don't want to spend early capital, but you're getting a lot of bang for your buck in the fifth round with a guy like this. You're getting a lot of bang for your buck drafting Ashton Doolin in the fifth round? It sounds like you've become an Ashton Doolin fan. I mean – are you on board this Ashton Doolin locomotive? I'm I'm watching it take off and I'm kind of like half speed catching up like should I or shouldn't I? I'm I'm watching it take off. I am with you if if none of us are getting crazy and saying he needs to go in the third round. Once the tape grinders came out on Twitter against Ashton Doolin, you became a fan. That's right. That's right. I had to come out. You just look at who's criticizing the player, and that tells you which side you need to land on. I've got the reversible Yankees Mets hat, so just, you know, wherever I want to be, I just... (laughs) (laughs) What about the tight end class? The tight end class is very interesting because we have two teammates from Iowa who are the best in class. And I believe that they are by far and away the best in class because they were so productive despite having the targets cannibalized by each other. So the ultimate exercise in teammate score adjustment of production would be Noah Fant and TJ Hawkinson. Overall, do you like this tight end class? I mean, I'm not I'm not a big fan of it. I mean, the guys at the top are great. There are some athletes in this class. Um, I know outside of these two, there's been some talk about Irv Smith um, from Alabama, you know, 20 and a half years old. So relatively young, you know, comps to Eric Ebron on player profiler athletically. And if you look at the two, they're similar. Um, and the thing that we've talked about in the past, and it doesn't come up a lot when you look at tight ends, you have to scrutinize the production a lot differently guys in college, tight ends don't catch a lot of passes. They don't typically get a lot of yards, but if you look at what Irv Smith did his junior year, 44 catches, 710 yards, and you go look at the elite tight ends that have popped in the NFL. A lot of these guys are in this same group with the same yards per reception, 16 yards per reception. You'll see it with Kelsey. OJ Howard was similar in this regard. Um, Greg Olson, I think was similar in this regard. So you get some of these guys that are good athletes and he's a, he's a reasonable athlete. You get some of these guys and they've got the production in college and they can translate to the next level. So I think outside those top two, um, Irv Smith is a guy. Irv Smith is definitely a guy. Definitely. He's de- <laughs> Yes, that's right. He is a guy, Matt. Yes. Here's where I'm at with these tight ends. TJ Hawkinson's the best tight end in this class. I think he will be drafted before Noah Fant because he's a better blocker. It's the Hayden Hurst corollary. Based on where Hayden Hurst went late first round, I think that's where TJ Hawkinson goes. And like with Paris Campbell, I think he needs to go to the Green Bay Packers. I think that would be the ideal landing spot for TJ Hawkinson. It's not going to happen, but that's where I'd like to see him go. If he falls out of the first round, the Detroit Lions make the most sense. But you look at last year's production. Hawkinson, 50 catches, 760 yards. Look at Noah Fant, 39 catches, 519 yards. Noah Fant was usurped in this passing game by TJ Hawkinson. And if you take a player like Noah Fant with that athletic profile, the most athletic tight end since Vernon Davis, even more athletic than another Iowa tight end, George Kittle, imagine the talent that is required to supplant that guy. 
on the Iowa Hawkeyes. So for that reason, I believe that TJ Hawkinson is special. In a two-tight end league, in a tight end premium league, I am targeting TJ Hawkinson end of the first round, early second. I'm locking him up. He's this year's Dallas Goddard. And if he's this year's Dallas Goddard, that makes Noah Fant Mike Gusecki. <laughs> okay. Well, then, does that make uh, Foster Moreau this year's George Kittle? That's the question that all the kids in the street want to know, Matt, because they have very similar production profiles in college. And, you know, obviously Kittle was an incredible athlete, but Foster is not far behind uh, 92nd percentile himself. You know, there's obviously differences in uh, college dominator here, but this is a guy that's a, that's a Foster Moreau looks like a football player. Yeah. Or wrestler. He has that square chin. When I look at Foster Moreau, I think football player. He does have that George Kittle athletic profile and the George Kittle anemic college production profile. Totally agree. We need to have Foster Moreau ranked. We don't actually have Foster Moreau ranked in our top 10, and I think that's a mistake. You would agree with that. Yeah, I do agree with that. I mean, this is... You think he's a top five guy? I don't know that he's top five. He's probably approaching that considering that this tight end class overall is just kind of an underwhelming class. But like you said, Hawkinson, uh, great. Fant, great. Um, Irv Smith is probably in that top five for sure. So yeah, there's not there's not a lot to pick through here. So I don't see why a guy with this athletic profile looking at what Kittle did. Cahale Waring and Caleb Wilson yep. were also impressive athletes. Yep. Cahale Waring was much more productive and equally as athletic. Yep. So I think this tight end class is more impressive than you think. I think you're dead wrong about this tight end class. I think it's impressive. Beyond the big two, I think Waring's good and Caleb Wilson and Jay Sternberger and the small school tight ends like Josh Oliver and Donald Parnum. They tested extremely well. Josh Oliver ran a 4.63. At 6'5", 250 pounds, it's a 109.2, 85th percentile speed score. He's best comparable to Hayden Hurst in a good way. So you've never been more wrong about a position group in a draft class in your life. Look at the tide's turn. This is a quality tight end class, especially because it's led by Noah Fant and TJ Hawkinson, two generational talents at the position. Hawkinson could be the best tight end to enter the NFL since Travis Kelsey. Because not only was he a dominant force on the football field at Iowa, he did it with Yak, like Kelsey, and he's an upper percentile athlete, like Kelsey. TJ Hawkinson is as close to a can't-miss tight end as I've seen in my history in this business. How about that? Huh? Huh? It's fantastic. You know, that's why I wanted to ask you about this tight end class, just so I could go on a TJ Hawkinson rant. Uh, yeah, I could tell it was it was built in. I was also shocked to learn that there are wide receivers that we have not yet talked about. Can you believe it? Yeah, I can, because there seems to be a thousand of them. It's never ending. Have you heard of a wide receiver named Alex Wesley from Northern Colorado? Yes, this name has come up. Two 1,000-yard seasons as a sophomore and a junior. So that's impressive. Any feedback whatsoever? Do you have a take at all? <laughs> That's great. I thought that you were you were giving me the hand sign like, wait a second. No, I was pointing like, at you. I was pointing at you to go, to have a take. It's so dark where you are. Alex Wesley's been on the show sheet 
for a month. Invest in a light. Can't tell what's going on over there. Anyways, point is, oh, now he's going to, oh, God, now he turns one on. Anyways, it resonated, folks. Yeah, you know, this is, this is an example of another guy from a small school, and you know how I feel about this. Uh, we've done this a lot, but this is a guy that that's, you know, a decent athlete, has good long speed. He's explosive. I mean, his best comparable on player profiler is Carlos Henderson, and it's a close comp because he is 190 pounds, but he's explosive with yak ability and was very productive at the college level and 18.4 yards per reception. So this guy is making plays down the field. He's making plays with yak. It's Carlos Henderson all over again. Here's my problem. It's not Carlos Henderson all over again because Carlos Henderson actually— In a good way. In a good way. He played at a reasonable school, but here's the deal with Wesley, man. When you look at some of the better teams that he faced, uh, when he faced North Dakota, was shut down, two catches for 50. When he faced Eastern Washington, one of the better teams on his schedule, four catches for 31. When he faced Montana State, two catches for 14. So he beat up on some of these other teams that weren't as good. South Dakota dropped 10 for 184. Uh, dropped, what was is Weber State, he drops... You know, nine for 178. Oh, the formidable Weber State. Portland State local team here, 11 for 163. He murders them. Did you catch that game? I should have. I didn't know Alex Wesley was going to be in town. I would have made it. Point is, I'm with you, man. I think that there's traits here to like. But He set aside tickets for you. Did he? I didn't know. I just, you know, I just so nervous. To he wanted out. you to talk about him on the Sonic Truth pod. Help him get drafted. So nervous. Well, it's going to, he, he needed to help himself get drafted. So as much as I think Ashton Doolin uh, gets his name called, I'm not sure that a guy like Wesley does. I just think there's too many good athletes in this draft class for a guy like this to uh, to get his name called. Alex Wesley was invited to the combine, posted a 128.0, 82nd percentile burst score with college production on his resume. He does get drafted, but it's not until the seventh round. That's uh, I, I'll give. What about Preston Williams? Oh. He's from a bigger school, Colorado State. We're staying in Colorado. Uh-huh. Better competition, 40% dominator rating. Yes. Do you like Preston Williams even though he was not invited to the combine? Here's the deal with Preston Williams. Tore his ACL while he was at Tennessee, served a suspension for an off-season misdemeanor assault charge, transferred from Tennessee to Colorado State, sat out 2017. Okay, so fast forward. Here we are. It's 2018, redshirt junior year. 96 catches, 1,345 yards, 14 touchdowns. So we love that. Mega production. Over 1,300 yards and 14 touchdowns. And his headshot, he looks very earnest. I mean, it's mega production. He's, he's a- I mean, he's serious. He's serious about football. Look at his headshot. Playerprofiler.com. Search Preston Williams. You'll be dazzled by the college dominator rating, underwhelmed by the breakout age, and sobered by his headshot. So here, let me uh, let me hit you with this while we're talking. Uh, so at his pro day, six foot four, two hundred and eleven pound receiver. Here's his pro day numbers: forty yard dash, four five three, vertical leap, thirty one and a half. Uh oh. Broad jump, one hundred and sixteen. Uh. Didn't bench press because he was concerned he wouldn't be able to get a rep. <laughs> So he face planted at his pro day. He pulled a Josh Jacobs. 
You pulled a Rashard Higgins. Sure. Yeah. Did Rashard Higgins go to Colorado State? Yeah. This is Rashard Higgins 2.0. And there are plenty of dynasty leaguers still holding a candle lit for Rashard Higgins. <laughs> even though the team just acquired Odell Beckham. Oh, Rashard Higgins. Exceptional dominator rating, except his BMI is in the bottom percentile. Yeah. If you're 6'2", 185 pounds, and you're not athletic, your chances of becoming a consistent contributor for an NFL offense are limited. Rashard Higgins is over. Cut him loose and do not bother drafting his doppelganger, Preston Williams. If Kevin White didn't hit with this similar profile, there's no way Preston Williams hits. All right, wow. We have satiated the ravenous rookie lovers in our audience. (sighs) Rookie fever is real. When you're building your dynasty team, you want to build around stud running backs. We've talked about this on many occasions. I start my dynasty drafts with multiple stud running backs. That's my preferred draft concept. And sure enough, when I play it out every time, you like your roster better when you get your running backs on the front end and you gobble up value receivers as the draft goes along. Do the following running backs qualify for Nate Liss as studs? Oh, my. Are the running backs I'm about to list all-purpose stud backs that you can build around in Dynasty? You ready? Go on. Yes, I am ready. Dalvin Cook. Yes. Any doubt? No. Karrion Johnson. Yes. Any doubt? Yes. Yes? Yes. A little bit. A little bit. I mean, we have only, we've only seen one season from him. I realize Dalvin Cook is in a similar situation here, but man, the Lions are in flux. You know how I knew Kerryon Johnson was good? Go on. Whenever Auburn got inside the five, you know what play they called? Burst right up the middle? Direct snap to Kerryon Johnson. That's how much they trusted him. That's how much they trusted his instincts. That's how much they trusted his vision. That's how much they trusted his burst and strength to get into the end zone. And when I saw the Auburn Tigers put that much trust in Kerryon Johnson, constantly shuttling the quarterback off the field, that's when I knew he's for real. Kerryon Johnson is without a doubt an NFL stud, a true bell cow, a running back you can be confident in building your dynasty team around for both short-term and long-term success. Aaron Jones. Stud. Really? Yeah. You're going there with Aaron Jones? You're ready to anoint him an all-purpose stud that you can build around? You believe the Packers are sold on Aaron Jones because it's not enough for us to be sold on Aaron Jones. We're sold on Aaron Jones, certainly, but I'm not so sure the Packers are based on the way they've been distributing the touches the last two seasons. I can't tell you what the Packers are going to do. So if the question is, what are the... But that's important. Well, if the question is, what are the... Pa- if, I thought we are just talking about these guys. I asked up. you, is there any doubt? And you said no. Well, I'm not talking about the Packers. The doubt is what the Packers believe is the future at the running back position. I have no doubt that the Lions feel they are set at running back with Kerryon Johnson. I don't believe the Packers are that confident in Aaron Jones. And for that reason, I can't build around him. I can't tag him as a running back you build around in Dynasty. I just can't. I love him. We have him in the top 20, but I can't build around him. 
I don't know why. I mean, because it's you're just making assumptions at this point. There's no there's no validity to the idea that he's gonna be replaced. I can't believe that I'm the guy citing draft capital. The fact that he's a fifth round pick and the way he's been used the last two seasons are concerning to me. I'm citing the draft capital as a cause for concern. And this is where you decide to just throw caution to the wind and forget about draft capital on a player. This is an early round pick. There's a lot at stake, Nate. Why are you being so flippant with your early round startup draft capital in Dynasty Leagues? Just out of curiosity. It's irresponsible to draft Aaron Jones early. His ADP's too high. What well, nobody said early. Would you rather have Aaron Jones or Leonard Fournette? Because I don't know what's going to happen in either place. The answer is Leonard Fournette. Oh, my God. Why? Because he was drafted <sighs> in the top five. And we're not doctors. The reason why... Okay, hold on. You build around Leonard Fournette before you build around Aaron Jones is that we admit that we are not doctors. Does Leonard Fournette have a degenerative ankle condition? I don't fucking know. That's a narrative. There are no public MRI results supporting that analysis. It's just gibberish wannabe doctor talk. And I don't participate in that. Therefore, I am building my roster around the top five pick with the 90th percentile speed score. Thank you very much. Okay, we're not doctors. We're also not mediums. So here's my question to you. What round was Arian Foster drafted in? Just out of curiosity, just out of wild curiosity. You can chase outliers off a cliff. It's not an outlier. Why? He's been good, though. We've seen him be good. We have not seen him command a 70% plus opportunity share in the NFL. We have seen Leonard Fournette command the lion's share of the touches, and now there's no more TJ Yeldon, there's no more Corey Grant, there's no more Carlos Hyde. Who's the number two running back on the Jacksonville Jaguars? I dare you to give me his name. Uh, well, they re-sign him, right? Corey Grant? Here's the thing. The answer what? is you don't know. Okay, I have a question for you. What has Leonard Fournette done well on a lot of opportunity? What did Melvin Gordon do well through three seasons? Nothing. Inefficient running back. But he was drafted in the first round, and he was guaranteed the touches year in, year out, until that offense was able to rebuild itself, particularly up front. Last season, that Jaguars offensive line was ravaged by injuries. Those linemen are healthy heading into 2019, as far as we know. And I'm giving Leonard Fournette the benefit of the doubt. I believe that he is a post-hype value. He's not good. Let's move on. I'm just a realist, Nate. I'm a clinical, rational realist in this game. I don't draft with emotion, and I have cured oh my <laughs> what plagues so many dynasty analysts take lock. I have found the cure. The Podfather has the cure to take lock. How is it not take lock? You're saying because he was drafted early and he sucks. I'm saying I'm immune to take lock. That even though okay. I believed Leonard Fournette was overrated for two years, that doesn't mean I can reverse course this season and identify him as one of the great values in Dynasty startups. Player for player, no scenarios being brought in. Who's better, Aaron Jones, Leonard Fournette? Give me Aaron Jones because he's better in the passing game. If I were starting a franchise today, I would rather have Aaron Jones. Okay, now we can move on. And if I'm starting a Dynasty League today, I would rather have... Leonard Fournette, because <laughs> fantasy football is not the same as real football. We'll see. We'll see this year. Marlon Mack, is he a stud you can build around? Uh, that He showed that he was at the end of the year. He looked great. 
I agree with that. If you love Sony Michelle, then you have to love Marlon Mack. Marlon Mack is just the Midwestern version of Sony Michelle. These are all purpose backs with similar athletic profiles who were not used in the passing game but have receiving skills that were underutilized. At any point in time, the Indianapolis Colts could deploy Marlon Mack as a proper bell cow back. And I think that we'll see it this season, just like I think we'll see Sony Michelle deployed in a bell cow role at times in 2019. If I were starting a franchise today, if I'm building a dynasty team, I'm taking Marlon Mack over Aaron Jones, and I'm not sorry. What about Devontae Freeman? I like him. I don't know that I would consider him a stud anymore. I don't think we're I think we're starting to get out of the stud classification, but with no Tevin Coleman and he's been great his whole career, he's never beaten people with long speed. So despite the injury history, I don't think he's lost what made him good. Would you rather build your team around Devontae Freeman or Damian Williams? For a year, probably Damian Williams. I, I like Damian Williams more this year. They are the exact same age. Damian Williams is in a better offense. Yep. And is arguably a more skilled running back. It's crazy to say, but Damian Williams is bigger and faster and Devontae Freeman's equal in the passing game. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't I'm I'm not against it. I'm with you. I don't have a preference, but Devontae Freeman has the track record as the RB1 in fantasy, the number one running back in all of fantasy football. Woo! So because of that, I believe we're looking at a push. The first ever push for the Podfather. I'll always give you a take. I'll always make that hard decision between player X and player Y, but not this time. Devontae Freeman, Damian Williams, push. Oh, my God. On the Patreon forum, we've been getting a number of inquiries about Tyreek Hill. Mm. What to do with Tyreek Hill. And if you want to participate and ask questions and provide commentary, Go to patreon.com forward slash podfather and join the conversation. And a question was recently posed to the community. What's the best Dynasty League platform? And by consensus, the response was Reality Sports Online. If you are a serious fantasy gamer looking for maximum, maximum strategy, gamesmanship, engagement with your league mates, and an intellectual challenge, it would be Reality Sports Online. It is the most powerful Dynasty platform where owners get to experience the management of a team as close to a true NFL general manager as you're going to get. The buzz about Reality Sports Online is real. From the way they handle free agency to the way they handle multi-year contracts, rookie drafts, multi-team trades, franchise tags, contract extensions, first-round rookie options, the salary cap, there are so many intricacies that Reality Sports Online has solved in order to create the most true-to-life fantasy football experience. That I just think it's a matter of time until they dominate the market. You should go there now, realitysportsonline.com, to test out your general manager skills for free in a mock free agency auction. And if you like what you see, use the promo code UNDERWORLD to receive a 10% discount on your team or league, because I know you'll want one once you experience it. Because fantasy just got real at realitysportsonline.com. What say you, Nate Liss? Should we be giving Tyreek Hill the benefit of the doubt? No. 
No, not at all. I think that this is it's gotten to the point. I mean, you can go back in history. You can go back to 2014 at Oklahoma State when he got kicked off for the domestic abuse, which he pled guilty to. Then it was dismissed after his probation time was served. Then we get reports of battery, uh, you know, with the juvenile. Then on March 5th, the report of child abuse and neglect. I mean, there's just too much here. I think with all the clean options out there, if if I can take Tyreek Hill and pair him with a guy and maybe get God Antonio Brown, if I could possibly make that work, I'm I'm all over that. I'm I'm personally out on Tyreek Hill. I, as a football player, I love him, but man, these concerns just continue. And at some point, this will catch up with him, whether it's true or not. Where there's smoke, there's fire, man. There's just too much here. The latest from Kansas City is that the Chiefs have had Tyreek Hill on the block all offseason. They want to move him. But here's why I'm holding. Despite the fact that Tyreek Hill assaulted a woman and a child, this is not a bar brawl situation. This isn't male-on-male violence. He didn't just beat the shit out of some dude with a pool cue. That would be understandable. I've beaten the shit out of people blood splattered all over my shirt but it was okay because it was a dude Tyree Kill hit a woman Tyree Kill broke a kid's arm that's inexcusable but I also believe that what LaShawn McCoy did was inexcusable the results of his domestic abuse were all over Instagram but for how many games was LaShawn McCoy suspended last season do you remember four none I honestly don't even remember at this point zero you don't even remember You want to know why he wasn't suspended? Go on. There was no video of the incident revealing the NFL's true motives for the suspensions. There's no moral compass directing the NFL's suspensions. It is 100% public relations. If there's a video on TMZ, you're getting eight games, as we saw with Kareem Hunt. If there's no video, eh, that's the world we live in. And that's why I'm holding Tyreek Hill even though he's a complete piece of shit. And what does this mean for Sammy Watkins? If you're out on Tyreek Hill, are you here for the Sammy Watkins resurrection in 2019? Why are you laughing at that? There's nothing funny about that question. It is because he was drafted so highly. Sammy Watkins is only 25 years old. Sammy Watkins has been in the league for multiple seasons and it still hasn't happened, but hold on. He should have been one of the best wideouts that we've ever seen based on his college, you know, background, where he was drafted, his athleticism, but injuries have really hampered his career arc. He hasn't had a healthy season since his rookie year, but last year in 2018, we saw two 100-yard games, multiple five and six catch games, and he's still not 26 years old. The guy was number three in target separation at the position and number 10 in QBR when targeted. Basically, just throw him the fucking ball and he will get open. I love Sammy Watkins, but here's the problem. When you look at his career up to this point, 62 games, he's not that far off from Kelvin Benjamin in that first window. I mean, they're only separated by a couple hundred receiving yards. It's damn close between these two guys in their career production. And it's it's purely because Watkins has had so many injuries. Sammy Watkins is a bye. Yes. Want to know why? There is no, I don't need to know. He is a buy. I'm with you. Because Tyreek Hill's about to get cut. 2015, Sammy Watkins posted over 1,000 yards on less than 100 targets. Let that sink in. Over 1,000 yards on less than 100 targets. 10.5 yards per target. That was number two in the NFL to Deshaun Jackson that season. And Sammy Watkins also posted the second best target premium, which compares 
your per target fantasy output to all the other receivers on your team to factor out quarterback play. This was on the Bills. Sammy Watkins accomplished this. Imagine what Sammy Watkins can do as a healthy number one receiver tethered to Patrick Mahomes. Are we saying Tyreek Hill is gone in this scenario? Sammy Watkins is the ultimate hedge to Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill is a hold, but if you have Tyreek Hill on the roster, you have to bend your will to get Sammy Watkins. To get Sammy Watkins. That's the show. I had some some shit I was going to throw, but every time I do, I, I just know you go, what, did, you didn't know the show was over? You didn't, you didn't, you weren't aware that the show ended 17 minutes ago? I'm like, I go on a run. Great job contributing absolutely zero to this show sheet. Looking at the word count, over 400 words for Matt Kelly, zero for Nate List. You are a complete and utter zero in the show prep department. Because you complain on Monday that we don't have enough on the show sheet. And then once I have completed all of my research throughout the week, bolstering the show sheet, you complain on Wednesday, there's so much to talk about! If you go down to Leonard Fournette's name, I type not good next to it. So there's my contribution. It's fine. I just need to see it. But the problem is it's always getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'm like, God, when it's just this monster. You know, I'm going to use the boner sound effect there. Do you think that Dante Foreman's going to outscore Lamar Miller? I don't even know if Dante Foreman's ever going to play again. I'm upset that I didn't bring it back. I should have called back to that take list nickname from last week. You really missed your shot. Your take less. You fucking blew it. Take less. You blew it. What was your take today? Did you have one? That was hot fire. You're going to listen back to this and be like, boy, you know what? Nate made a lot of sense there. Oh, boy, he did it again. You had a real turd of a take with Alex Wesley just staring into the camera. Just a complete turd of a show. Just. <laughs> you know what? I was telling my wife we got done last week, and I was like, that show was horrible. I don't know what happened. I wasn't on game. I don't know. It felt like it went on forever. It was a long show. I was tired. And then I get all these messages from people. They're like, man, great show. Best show I've ever heard. I'm like, dude, that thing was awful. What are you talking about? Yeah, well, that's the magic of the Podfather. I guess, apparently, because these people were they were saying it was the best thing they'd ever heard. Well, the outtakes were 25 minutes. I have a train whistle. Yeah. Talking to me like I'm an idiot. I'm not talking to you like you're an idiot. There's a lot going on in these things off air. Talking to me like I'm an idiot? I'm not talking to you like you're an idiot. 
Shut up. Listen. Shut up. Listen. Shut up. Listen. You do realize that outside of you and I recording, anybody I record with, I'm the train on the tracks. It may not seem like it because you do a majority of the talking, but I have very energetic, fast-paced takes. I'm I'm with it. I'm I'm with it. I'm I'm with it. So when you're not involved, you switch over to autopilot when dad's driving. I'm shuffling shit. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. I'll let you. Well, this is how it's been for four years. If we're going to do a flip roll. You're just that astronaut that's just floating in the chamber while I'm steering around the world. I'm snacking on a bag of chips. I'm letting them float. Just float in the air and I take a bite of it. Yes, yeah, things are pretty good. Taking rips off the bong. Life is good. You can't smoke on the space shuttle, Nate. Let me just say this. It's a lot different recording with literally anybody else because I'm full-time host, full-time energy guy, full-time fucking fluffer, getting everybody going. That's what I got to do. I hope you don't feel like you have to necessarily get me going. Oh, I have to get you going. Your headphones are off. Your mic's not working. You're trying to move your computer. You're trying to open shit. Where are we at? What is the fucking goon? You're doing a great job. I can't wait to be on your video. It's going to go out to all 100 YouTube subscribers. Big hit. That's right. We're double that now. Oh! All right. Goodbye. Underrated poll by me. When you said Teardrop was featured on Westworld, I came right back over the top and said, oh, no, that's heart-shaped box. Because if it's grunge, I know it. You had it. Again, you don't know anything about grunge, clearly, but you had heard Better Man. That was important. The reissued Better Man by the fraudulent Eddie Vedder. Yeah, no, that is. That that was everything. It was very important. Eddie needs to be better. <laughs> That's okay. All right. I don't know grunge. I don't. I will uh, I will definitely provide some music next week. I'm going to make sure that it's A, very upbeat, and B, the music video is going to is going to give you a lot of firepower. So, because my show sheet was so robust, we have a whole bunch of content for next week. You got to bring your favorite TV show. And at some point, we're going to talk about how Fuck's no longer going to be a swear word. Yeah, I know. We've been carrying that on like five show sheets now. That thing you retweeted, did you look at any of it? No, Nate. I'm preparing for actual shows that we have to do. Typical Matt Kelly. Karrion Johnson is without a doubt an NFL stud. What is the fucking goon? I have, a, I have an interesting anecdote to kick the show off as well. All right, goodbye. Just pop, 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 pop. What is the fucking goon? Nate is a fool. Who, who sent that? Oh, uh, here we go. How does it feel to be a pioneer, Nate? You started this Paris Campbell in the first round movement. Feels good. Feels good that uh, it's happening. We're seeing it. We're seeing it firsthand, brah. All right. Congratulations on being the first to the top of this mountain. It feels good. Froze my ass off getting there, but we got there. We're there, boys. Yeah, I froze my dick off. I just thought that was a funny visual. <laughs> it really is. Um, all right. Other guys freeze toes, fingers, noses, ears. I freeze penises. You walk with your hips very far forward. All right, I'm going to lead us in. Not get me two weeks in a row. We're going to be good. <laughs> We're going to be good. Don't worry. All right. Do you have anything prepped here? Uh, no, I mean, in my mind. Do you have any feedback? Do you have any thoughts on anything on here? Uh, that's what I thought. Bring us in. Yeah, we're going to be good. <laughs> we're going to be good. Don't worry. All right. Let me control myself. Thumbs up. That won't help. 
What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sonic Truth Dynasty Podcast. <laughs> God damn it. I'm your host, Nate Liss. You can find me on Twitter at an outraged Jew. And with me, as always, is Mr. Matt Kelly. You can find him on Twitter at fantasy underscore mansion. And apparently two weeks in a row, he has knocked me off of my game on the intro. Couldn't even make it through the start. How's it going, Matt? Got you again! You've been podfathered. Good job. I can see why you're so outraged. Constantly. So you are in phoneless hell. I raised my voice and yelled, and it was totally exasperated like seven different times. Who the fuck are the fantasy knuckleheads? I just dragged them. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm looking forward to it. Send it to me when you drop it. I'll be uh, be all over that shit. What do you mean? You you subscribe to it on iTunes. I do. Well, I know. I'm very busy. Look at me carrying the whole goddamn thing on my back. That's right. I put them on my fucking shoulders, and I just carry them around everywhere. And you don't have a porum basket? Poor guy. Looking forward to sucker though. Paris Campbell, late in the first round. The last player they need to be drafting is Josh fucking Jacobs. Oh, no. I freeze penises. That's the chick you saw that you said did a show with, like, nobody. Characterizing Paris Campbell as smooth. All right, goodbye. Didn't you have a zinger in there? I'm gonna go, I gotta do a hi hat. I think I did the uh, d- uh, people are dueling over Ashton. <laughs> Bradley Ridley is somehow still, still, still in the second round or earlier conversation. How is, how is, how is this possible? I don't wanna go on tangent here. I just, every time I hear Riley Ridley, I get triggered. Provide tangible evidence or log the fuck out. <laughs> that's the good one. That's the winner. That's that's I can't I give 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 and sobered by his headshot. All right, goodbye. Never, ever, 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 ever leave your phone in an Uber. We're fucked. This was a, this is a shitty idea, but dude, it's hard to come up with content every fucking week with a song shit. Look, someday let me do the songs, and I'll make it happen for you. Let's just complain the entire time that there's no video. Not a problem. You set the bar high. Now I'm gonna come in way below it next week. Way below it. I'm excited to see what you come up with. Some awesome hip-hop music. I've got the reversible Yankees Mets hat, so just, you know, wherever I want to be, I just... (laughs) I'm Doug Humpty Dumpty Baldwin. It's not good! When others are greedy, be fearful. When others are fearful, be greedy. Paris Campbell's air quote, A dot of three yards. I'm not a doctor! You're not a doctor! Boy, I like this bit better when I felt like I was walking through a room full of balloons with confetti falling on me. Paris Cable has the best hands in this class. There are wide receivers that we have not yet talked about. Can you believe it? Yeah, I can because there seems to be a thousand of them. I was pointing at you to go, to have a take. It's so dark where you are. Alex Wesley's been on the show sheet for a month. Irv Smith is a guy 
And if he's this year's Dallas Goddard, that makes Noah Fant Mike Gusecki. Paris Campbell's air quote, A dot of three yards. He set aside tickets for you. Did he? I didn't know. I wonder if Ashton Doolin's Jewish. <laughs> God. I love him, so he must be. If he is, I'm almost certain he doesn't freeze his bagels. And the haters need to eat it. Well, it's good to hear that people are dueling over Ashton. <laughs> I'm going to go defrost a bagel after the show. I asked you, is there any doubt? And you said no. What if the question is, what are the, if I thought we're just talking about these, what if the question is, what are the, if I thought we're just talking about these, what if the question is, what are the, if I thought we're just talking about these guys straight up. It's just gibberish wannabe doctor talk. And I don't participate in that. Therefore, I am building my roster around the top five pick with the 90th percentile speed score. Thank you very much. I love him. We have him in the top 20, but I can't build around it. I have found the cure. The Podfather has the cure to take lock because fantasy football is not the same as real football. We'll see. We'll see this year. I'll always make that hard decision between player X and player Y, but not this time. Devontae Freeman, Damian Williams, push. I'm the train on the tracks. I have very energetic, fast-paced takes. All right, goodbye. Are you familiar with the song Better Man? Uh, maybe not by the title. I'm sure if I hear it. Oh, my God. I remember where I was when I heard Better Man for the first time because it was the first single off Vitalogy and my friends and I were waiting for this album to drop and when the first single showed up on the radio, we pulled the car over to listen to it. There was hushed silence in the vehicle. Pulled the car over slowly and cranked the volume and just let the song wash over us. I remember where we pulled the car over in my hometown. I'm, I'm ready for this, man. Like I said, by the title, this is, this is not... This is not what I do, my friend. I've been shielding you from rock and roll. Thank you. Thank you. We've been playing electro pop and hip hop predominantly. That that song, by the way, I've been listening to it a lot recently. That Shade song. Pretty good. Pretty <laughs> good. Wait, a trampoline? Yeah. Did you play it for your daughter? I did. I put it on a playlist. I, I've listened to it at the gym. I'm like, not bad. It's not bad. I don't know what to say. I enjoy it. So years ago, I was reading this in-depth piece in Spin Magazine, one of the longest articles ever written in any music magazine. It was a profile of Pearl Jam, and they focused, of course, on Eddie Vedder, and they went back through his life and how he ended up becoming the front man of Pearl Jam and painted him as a careerist, as not as this smoldering, disaffected youth, but rather a careerist, even an opportunist who understood the zeitgeist of the time and crafted a persona around where he saw music heading, 
When hardcore fans found out that Eddie Vedder was popular in high school, it was devastating. So clearly the writers at Spin believed that there was a disingenuous quality to Eddie Vedder, and that certainly colored and informed their piece. The, the Spin, if you will. Understanding the confirmation bias at play, I was skeptical of the piece. I was just as skeptical reading this Spin Magazine profile on Pearl Jam as I am reading the scouting report on Josh Jacobs. Music critics, film scouts, they're all the same. They're just making it up as they go along. But then I came across the demo tape from Eddie Vedder's first band, Bad Radio. And on that demo tape was a song that was a window into the lengths that Eddie Vedder would go to maintain his persona, maintain the band's position at the top of the grunge movement at the time. From everything I've read, when Pearl Jam went into the studio to make Vitalogy their third album, it was a real struggle. You can tell just by the eclectic nature of the album that the band didn't have a lot of direction at the time, but they had this obligation and this timeline to get this record released, and there are aspects of Vitalogy that absolutely feel forced, Microwaved music. There's some great songs. Immortality, great. Corduroy, great. Mop Handle Mama, not so great. And I used to think Better Man was great. It was the first single dropped off that album. And then I got my hands on this bad radio demo tape. Eddie Vedder's first band when he was in San Diego. You know, before Eddie Vedder was a Seattle guy, he was a San Diego guy. And before he was a San Diego guy, he was a Chicago guy. I spend all the big ones now. Real grunge roots there. <laughs> right. And understand... I grew up with Pearl Jam. That band represents the soundtrack of my youth. And scanning this bad radio demo tape, I see the song Better Man. And I'm like, busted. Let's do that differently. Busted. <laughs> busted. That was closer. He repackaged it and released it as the first single off of Vitalogy. And I lost some respect for Eddie Vedder when I realized that he did that. Let's play the Pearl Jam version of Better Man. The version of Better Man that most people besides yourself know. Because you're a hip-hop guy. You don't know rock and roll. This song may be new to you. Okay. Of all the listeners, the tens of thousands of listeners, all of them probably know this song better than you do. Boy, this would be better if there was a video. Yeah, Pearl Jam was so full of themselves at this moment in time in their history, 1994, mm. they refused to do videos. They hated MTV. They hated Ticketmaster. They were too cool for the world. Waiting, watching the clock, it's four o'clock, it's... Videos? Videos? Video doesn't do our music justice. Oh, all right, yep, definitely know this song. It's a good song. It is. It's really good. It'd be better with a video. Really good. That's high praise from Nate Liss, hip-hop fan. That's right. No, man, come on, I know these songs. I'm in my mid-30s, I was around. You had to hear this song on the radio at some point in your yeah, youth. Yeah, of course. I mean, that is an interesting position to be in. Where you're dating someone that you don't actually love at all and you just have to lie to them and you lie to their face. That's a pretty desperate spot to be in. I, I'm in it right now, Matt. Except on this podcast. Yeah, except this podcast. This doesn't count. I just hope that she's not kidnapped. 
were. He could be describing a kidnapping situation, though. That's a great point. I mean, somebody kidnapped the video. I'm just staring at a still image right now. They didn't make a video, Nate. They were too cool. They felt videos did not do songs justice. Not a good reason. The drums really come in. They were on their third drummer at the time. The first three albums from Pearl Jam had a different drummer every album. For some reason, they just could never get along with their drummer. Maybe it's just a very small town. Maybe they're from a town of like 100 people. Like maybe it's some remote area of North Dakota, and she literally cannot find a better man. She's tried. I don't relate to the song. It is a good song, right? He's got such a great voice, and their whole style and feel was so unique. Pearl Jam, when this song dropped in 1994, Pearl Jam was at the absolute pinnacle of their powers. The biggest band in the world. This song was fucking huge, Nate. It's a great song, Matt. I don't know what to tell you. Every alt-rock station in America was playing this every hour. They're still playing this. And meanwhile, all us Pearl Jam fans had no idea that Vedder was ripping off himself. No one in the history of rock and roll has ever moaned and groaned better than Eddie Vedder. He sells that he's in pain better than any front man ever. Right. How does Eddie sound when he stubs his toe? The opposite. Like his wife must know, oh he he really stubbed it. It's so over the top and so bad. Now, that song was released in 1994. This song was released by Eddie Vedder with his previous band, Bad Radio, in 1989. Mm. Listen. You're going to get a music video here? Nope, no music video again. This band was never signed to a label. They never had any money, Nate. I mean, imagine if you're bad radio and you hear this song on the radio. I don't know what you do. It would be crushing that Eddie Vedder wouldn't respect you enough to at least change the words around. I mean, that is the ultimate fuck you to your former bandmates. Yeah, I'm going to rip off our old song, and I'm not going to change the words at all. You can just find a different rhyming song. Oh, no, no, Anybody go after him for this? It's his own song. He has the writing credit on both. But in the music industry, stealing a song that you wrote while with a previous band is highly frowned upon. Yeah, it's one for one. It's viewed as rude. Yeah. It's breaking all kinds of music industry decorum and the only way Eddie Vedder was able to get away with it was that they happened to be the biggest band in the world at the time and he was clearly desperate for a hit the label and the band went down their list of songs on Vitality you're like not a hit not a hit not a hit not a hit fuck what are we gonna do what are we gonna do what are we gonna do and Eddie Vedder's like I got one ripcord I can pull there was one song we did with Bad Radio that was actually good so technically, this would be good radio. <laughs> this is, you've been sitting on that one? 
Even some of the arrangements are similar. Sure sounds a lot like it, so yep. It's one for one. This song makes me nauseous. Oh yeah. And how many lines of work is it possible to copy yourself while breaking decorum? While making a boatload of money off. I mean, if you're an artist, you can paint a picture similar to another painting that you created a month earlier, and it will just be viewed as a different rendition of your painting and could sell for even more than the first. Certainly the second version of Better Man with Pearl Jam sold a lot more copies than the Bad Radio version, which sold exactly zero. The only reason it was even legal for him to copy his own song and re-release it with Pearl Jam is because the first version was never released. This is not a good version. It was cheesy at best, unethical at worst. Shame on you, Eddie Vedder.